2006, you said? Yeah, about 2006 we came. It was between our, our time between Egypt and uh, Colombia. Um, but uh, our family has definitely grown um, this way and a number of kids and everything. So um, we are uh, just very excited that you guys have uh, chosen to partner with us all these years. And we're very, very thankful for that. When you took us on, you actually took us on as a team. And uh, we, we are a team. And uh, when we are in different places that we've been in, from Lebanon, Egypt to Colombia, uh, we have always worked together as a team. And we can't, we can't imagine it being any other way. But uh, in just a short while, things are going to be a bit different. Because our oldest, Joy, uh, is graduating from high school and she's starting college in August. And uh, we will... F- feel uh, very much so uh, the lack of her presence with us and that is not going to be easy so you know pray for her this is exciting for her she's she's planning on going to Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar Missouri planning to study intercultural studies or missions and uh, we're very excited for her this is uh, an adventure and I know that uh, she would appreciate your prayer your prayers on her behalf but also pray for us because really, honestly, Joy's like a second mom in the house, right, guys? Yeah, you guys are gonna miss her, aren't you? Yeah, Chandler's like, I'm not so sure. <laughs> but we are. We're gonna miss her. Pray for us and uh, pray for Joy. Pray for the guys. Um, and when this starts, when this starts, this it just kind of it's a domino effect, isn't it? Um, Joy is leaving in uh, August, starting college, and then two years later it'll be Chandler, and then two years after that it'll be Chad and Chase. So once it starts, it just, it just goes like that, right? So I've been told. Um, I just can't believe that 18 years has already gone past and my daughter's starting college. So that's just being real with you all. Um, you know, pray for us, uh, and it's, it's, not, it's not easy. Um, but we know that God uh, is faithful and that he will provide. Uh, we, we, have, we answered the call of God on our lives. We, know, we knew at a, my wife at a young age and a teenager, and I was also a teenager when I accepted the call into missions. And there's a passage of scripture that, that uh, I want to share right now with you. And so if you would please turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. Um, I actually um, didn't really catch this scripture till later on in my walk uh, with the Lord. I was already at Bible college, and um, my father-in-law, David Lingo, was teaching out of this, and uh, it impacted me greatly. Um, and so we're going to read it. It's Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. It says, in flaming fire. Okay, so Jesus Christ is coming back, all right, and with he will be revealed in the heavens with his mighty angels. In verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what we see in this passage is we have two groups of people that will suffer the consequences, the eternal consequences, eternal damnation, uh, condemnation. They will suffer uh, eternal separation from God. 
And uh, what are the two groups of people? The first group that I want to talk about here is, are those who have never heard the gospel. Those who have never heard the gospel. This group of people is a little bit easier for us to understand. Because if we take the gospel to someone, we share the gospel with someone, and then that person chooses not to accept the gospel, but rather rejects the gospel, then that person, well, it's, it's understandable. If they reject it, then they don't get to receive the benefits of those who do obey the gospel. So this, this, this uh, group of people is really easy for us to understand. Um, if they've heard the gospel and reject it, then they deserve the consequences. But the other group of people that we see in this passage is those who do not know God. Those who do not know God. Now, this refers to people who have never heard about Jesus. This refers to the people who have never heard the gospel. This refers to people who don't even know Christians. And there are a whole lot of people in our world today that still live in those conditions. In fact, right now, if you organize the world in, in different regions, so North America, uh, Central America, South America, all these different regions, you will see that there are, there are about 7,000 unreached people groups in our world today. Those 7,000 unreached people groups represent 3,148,000,000 people. That's almost half of the world's population. Do we still have a job to do? We do. And see, and if they don't get to hear the gospel, if they don't get an opportunity to hear the gospel, then they die in that state. And, you know, one of the, talking with my father-in-law at the, at the time, it was very impacting for me because we started talking about someone who lives in some far-off place, some dark place in our world. Maybe they've been born in the 1040 window where the majority of the unreached people in our world today live. So that's North Africa, Middle East, uh, South Asia, and also Southeast Asia. So most of the people that live there, and of course people from that window have gone everywhere. So Josh, I mean, you're going to see this in London. You've already seen it. So the amount of Muslims that live in that area of the world is incredible in, in Europe. And so all of this, there's a just expansion of Muslims going all over the place. But we see in, this, in, in these places a darkness. They, have not, they do not know God. And so the big question is, is someone who is born in the religion of Islam, or they're born in the religion of Hinduism or Buddhism, or they're, if they're born in some far-off island where they've never met a Christian, never heard the name of Jesus, the big question is, is will that person go to hell? Will that person suffer eternal consequences? And the answer to this, according to this passage that we read, is yes, they will. And the reaction is, well, that's unfair. My Bible says that God is love, and God would never do that. And so if, if, if that is the case, then God is being unfair. Well, now I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to look at verse 34. It says here, awake to righteousness and do not sin. 
For some do not have the knowledge of God. So there are some who do not know God. And as we've seen through a little bit of statistics tonight, almost half the population live in that reality. But here it is. Listen to this. There are some who do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So as we think about the people who have yet to hear the gospel, we can't put the blame on God. We have been given a commission. And so as my father-in-law was sharing with me this passage, he's saying, Scott, the, people who are, the, the person who is being unfair is not God, it's us. 2,000 years after the commission, the great commission has been given, we're still in this situation. And of course, we, we would say, well, the population of the world has just grown exponentially since the days of Jesus Christ, since the days of Paul. And that's true. There are way more people that live on this world now than ever before. But there's also way more Christians in churches than ever before in all of history. So the question is, is what is the church doing? Right? Here's the point. Is for me, those truths impacted me greatly and so as I was sitting in my father-in-law's class and listening to this and he taught at Baptist Bible College and listening to him and listening and learning about the 1040 window and learning about the dark parts of our world God began to give me a burden and it was through that that I basically said God I'll go I'll go anywhere you want I met my wife there at BBC and uh, she grew up in the, on the mission field. She grew up in Colombia and in Chile. Her grandparents uh, uh, were also missionaries in Chile. Her uncle is a missionary in Colombia who we work with, Craig Lingo. He's been there for 45 years. She has an aunt who is a missionary in Latin America in Chile. And uh, this is just part of her life. And so one, one day I shared with her this idea of maybe possibly going to a place, you know, like the Middle East. And she's like, you got to be crazy. You're nuts. That doesn't make sense. God is not going to have all of my experience here and then send me all the way over to the Middle East. At the time, it was just a burden for me. You know, I was just learning about all this stuff, so I was just sharing. But I didn't say anything else. I didn't say anything else to her. Um, We ended up getting married, and uh, we didn't talk about this. But in the meantime, God was really uh, giving me a stronger or a heavier, heavier burden and um, in 1998, uh, with my wife, we were at our sending church where it, I was the youth pastor there at the time. Uh, we had some missionaries come from Lebanon. And uh, they uh, shared with their, their, they shared their heart for, for Muslims. And, and I just, I really felt that God was, was pulling us to Lebanon. And uh, it happened to my wife too. And God was dealing with her about her surrender and uh, he was dealing with me as well. Well, we actually surrendered in 1998 to go to the country of Lebanon. And so we began preparations. And you have to understand, and I know Josh and others that have been sent out of this church, Brian Garrison, and, and the, you, know, all, you all understand what it takes to get a missionary on the field deputation you're you're raising support you get there all the traveling you get to the field and you're it's just it's an amazing feeling 
So in two, after we were approved as BB5 missionaries in 2000, in 2002, we moved to Beirut, Lebanon. And it was spectacular. It was what we always wanted. We loved it. And we really, we, at that point, we, we decided we're going to be here for the rest of our lives. Because that's what missionaries plan to do. Right? You don't ever hear a missionary say, well, we're going to be here for, you know, six months and over here. You don't really hear that very often. Josh, is that your plan? You're going to spend a couple of years in London and come back home? No, he's shaking his head, so that's good. Um, well, we get to Beirut, Lebanon. We say we are going to be there for the rest of our lives. And it, wasn't un- it was just a couple of months later that a missionary nurse was murdered in southern Lebanon. And uh, she was the first American that was murdered in Lebanon or killed in Lebanon since 1983. 1983 is a particular uh, important year in Lebanon because that's when the Marine barracks were bombed and a lot of people were, uh, a lot of casualties and a lot of fatalities in that bombing. And so this threw the country in an uproar. There was all kinds of internal conflict, political conflict. The American embassy all of a sudden said, we can't guarantee the safety of our uh, citizens in this country. Oh, well, as soon as the American embassy did that, the Lebanese government's like, okay, fine. We're going to change all the visa laws. And that's what happened to us. So we're just there just a short amount of time. We're, you know, on tourist visas. It was the only way that we knew how to be in the country. And uh, they changed the laws. It, it became so restrictive that we ended up have we had to leave. And I can't tell you how we felt when we went left Lebanon and went back to the States. God, what are you doing? Why? Why would you do this? Always asking that why question. And so we're trying everything we can to get back to Lebanon. Just everything, just doors were closing and just nothing was opening. And, and finally we're like, okay, God, you know what? We can just stay here in the States or we can just go wait somewhere else in the, in the Middle East. So that's when we moved to Egypt. So let's just go to Egypt there's an opportunity that came up, so we moved to Egypt. Awesome. And one of the cool things is, is uh, there I, I studied uh, Arabic at the American University of Cairo, and they handled our visas. So that was great. But once my studies were, were up, well, once they were finished, the university said, we can't do your visas anymore. <laughs> Obviously, right? So we, same boat, we're trying to figure out how we're going to be able to stay in the country, uh, trying to get back. We're back in the States trying to get back, all the doors start closing, nothing's opening up. How's a missionary who feels like they should be there, how, how should a missionary respond to that? Should we just say, well, I guess God doesn't want us there. I guess we'll just give up, right? No, well, it's really interesting that as I look back on my life, when I was 16 years old, accepted Christ, two weeks after accepting Christ, I was reading the Bible from my, from my own life. And so we've got some young people in here. And God gave me a desire to be in the Word. And I was reading 2 Corinthians 10, verse, uh, verse 16. And I, I shared that in, the, in this, this morning's service. It's Paul talking about how he desires to take the gospel in the regions beyond, okay? That was the seed of missions. That was the, 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 God planted that in my heart at that point. I had no idea 
that would actually literally be regions. And uh, so as we, you know, in, in different regions in, in the, or different countries in the Middle East, God was constantly expanding our vision, giving, a, giving us a bigger vision. First, it was just Lebanon. Then we started thinking, okay, Middle East, the whole region. And then we were back in the States in 2006. We were trying to get back to, to Egypt. And uh, Christy's uncle, Craig Lingo, missionary there now has been there for 45 years he invited me to come and teach a class on islam in their bible institute and while i was in that class sharing our testimony and sharing what god uh what god laid on our hearts and and just our story one of the students asked if it is so difficult for north americans to go and live and minister in places like that why aren't we going and that question god used that question to expand our vision even more. And so now we, we remembered. All of a sudden, it was just like all the, these memories started just flooding in. We remembered our time in Lebanon. Some of our closest friends were actually Colombians. They were missionaries. And we remembered how they were able to adapt and learn the language. And we remembered seeing other Latin Americans in Egypt as well. And so we began to pray, God, is that what you're leading us to do? Are you, are, you, are you leading us to go to Latin America to help train them and mobilize them to go? And we came to the conclusion that yes. And so the big question that our churches always have is, why would you go to Colombia via the Middle East, right? It's always the biggest question. Well, that is, in a nutshell, why? And right now I'm going to go ahead and we're going to show you our video and uh, I'll follow up some, with some more comments. Jesus himself said that his mission was to seek and to save those who were lost. It is for this reason, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is what led the Hudgens to the Middle East in 2000. They quickly started Arabic training, developing relationships, and integrating into their new adopted culture. Their desire was to see Muslims come to Christ and be discipled, and later start a church planning movement that would flourish in that part of the world. However, their journey in the regions beyond took an unexpected turn when they were no longer able to obtain legitimate visas that would allow them to stay long-term. In 2006, while in the States trying to get back to the Middle East, the Hudgens were given an opportunity to teach a Bible Institute class on Islam in Bogota, Colombia. While Scott was teaching, one of the Colombian students asked, if it is so difficult for North Americans to go and minister in places like that, why aren't we going? That question greatly broadened the Hudgens' vision. Instead of going and ministering as a family in the Middle East, God was leading them to equip and mobilize Latin American families to surrender to the Great Commission and take the gospel around the world. As they were prayerfully making the decision whether or not to go to Colombia, the Lord taught them that North Americans were not the only ones who could and should obey the Great Commission. In fact, God was impressing on their hearts that Latin Americans would be more effective than North Americans in many parts of the world. So in 2007, the Hudgens moved to Colombia, South America. For the last 10 years, Scott, Christie, Joy, Chandler, Chad, and Chase have been involved in evangelistic camp ministry one-on-one -on -one discipleship, church planning, and the training of Latin Americans, primarily from Colombia, but also from Mexico, 
Ecuador, Peru, Guatemala, Bolivia, and Panama. This experience has uniquely prepared the Hudgens to lead La Iniciativa Latina, the Latin Initiative, a ministry designed to mentor Latin American churches to fulfill their global missionary potential, to coach Latin American missionaries, and to facilitate a network of churches and mission organizations who partner in the Great Commission. God's global plan to reconcile the world to himself can only be accomplished as we reach out across cultures and work together. The revelation that the Apostle John received concerning God's throne room is very descriptive. It says that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow before God in worship. If God is honored through multicultural worship around his throne, wouldn't it be true on this side of heaven? Why should Latin Americans obey the Great Commission? Why should North American churches partner with Latin American churches and missionaries? Why should the Latin Initiative exist? It is because a multicultural effort glorifies God. And that is the ultimate purpose of missions. Well, that's uh, eight, 18 years in about three minutes. Um, <laughs> Uh, we, are, we have been very blessed uh, to have been able to have our time in, in Colombia. Now, you can imagine. See, our desire, heart, was to be in the Middle East. God didn't allow that to happen at that time. So we go to Colombia, and we're ready to just train people and get them on and, and get them to go, right? So we get there. I start preaching this. I start teaching it. And I say, who wants to go? And no one raises their hands. No one's surrendering. No one. No one. And I'm like, God, you brought me here for, for this reason. You brought us here for this reason. Why is it that it's not happening? Well, God allowed us to be a part of a huge ministry opportunity in Colombia. The beginnings of a pool of missionaries, I guess you could say. Because we, we started a ministry called Dia Cero. Dia Cero is day zero in, in Spanish. And um, it's, a, it's an evangelistic camp ministry. And uh, there at, in, in, in Colombia, uh, we have uh, uh, many, many different evangelistic camps. These are not church camps. So we'll have uh, an evangelistic camp where we'll have, you know, 400 kids there. And in one camp, it is not unheard of that over half will receive Christ as their Savior. So it's since 2009, we have seen uh, just under or just over 4,000 people come to know Christ. And the majority of those being young people. And of course, there have been some adults too. The young people were going home and the parents were like, what are you doing to our kids? They're changed. They're different. And they said, we want it too. So we began adult camps as well. And so it's just been amazing what God has been doing. We believe that it is always from the harvest that God calls out his workers. If you read John chapter 4, this is what happened John chapter 4. Jesus has a conversation with the woman at the well. And it wasn't long until she, was, she had left that conversation and she had gone and told her friends and her family. And they came back to spend time with Jesus. 
And so we believe that this is what is taking place in Columbia, South America. I am very, very happy to tell you that just a couple of weeks ago when I was in Columbia teaching on missions, having a whole week at the fall, at the end of that week, six people surrendered to missions. So 11 years later, we're seeing that. And it's not just in Colombia. God has, has broadened that vision. So it's beyond Colombia. It's, it's really Latin America. And so we were in Mexico. I was in Mexico just not too long ago, last week or a week, week before. And uh, they're at a particular church and preaching on that, teaching in a, a class on Islam. And following that class and, and following the time of preaching, over 10 people surrender to missions. Some of them being professionals. Doctors, linguists, they're saying, here am I, send me. So our ministry is now completely focusing in on this idea of training them and mobilizing them, being able to get them over. And we've seen this in action. We have, there is a, a Mexican family that are now working in northern Iraq and I had the opportunity to be with them just uh, last year in, in June and just being able to see them in action, see how they've been able to adapt and uh, to the ministry that they have. He's leading his friends to Christ. It's amazing. And then we have a young lady from, from our little church that we planted in, in, in uh, Colombia. She is in Germany working with Syrian refugees. She's a single lady. She's working in Germany and working with refugees. So God is really beginning to just expand our vision. And so our, our ministry is now getting, getting more and more global as, as the weeks go by. And we're very excited about that. Because how many of you believe that the Great Commission is just for our churches here in America? The Great Commission is not culture specific, which means that every believer every follower of Christ has responsibility to obey that and every church no matter what culture they're from has a responsibility to send missionaries and uh, it has been incredible to be a part of that and so our we are fully uh, in just moving into that ministry uh, you'll notice that on our cards we have um, we have two different kinds of cards we have our family card that you guys can pick up, and we got this why card. Why does the Latin initiative exist? You guys can take one of those. You can sign up for our, uh, our updates and everything. Um, but it's, our, our ministry is just growing and growing. And uh, as we've been presenting this in different places uh, all across America or across the states, that people have been, churches have been really embracing it. And so we're really excited about it. And uh, through this, these different opportunities that we have had, we are going to be partnering with MANA worldwide. You guys are familiar with MANA? We're actually going to be partnering with MANA worldwide in order to be able to really develop this ministry. And uh, this is a big step for us uh, because it's not just uh, doing projects together. MANA has actually asked me to uh, come on with, with MANA and be one of the directors that will be overseeing this ministry. So this is completely new for MANA. And so um, I will be, or we will be, um, in charge of developing uh, cross-cultural training for Latin Americans. It's basically what we're doing. It's just going to be on a greater scale. 
So uh, cross-cultural training and mobilization of Latin Americans. And so we'll be in and out of, of, of different, different countries in Latin America because a lot of uh, uh, open, wide network uh, uh, there with MANA. And then also I will be leading, I'll be the Middle East director. And uh, if you know anything about MANA, they actually don't have anyone that is really solely focusing in on that area. And as a result, there's not a whole lot of projects and not, not, not a lot of church planning that's taking place. And so with what I'm bringing in uh, to, onto the table is this idea of being able to get Latin Americans to go over to places like the Middle East and plant churches. And MANA is able to step in and help us be able to do that by giving us a lot of ideas and a lot of you know, feeding centers and all these kind of things that will aid in church planting in places where it is difficult. Because as you understand, you know you understand, going into places like Iraq and other and Iran and Afghanistan, uh, Kazakhstan and all these different places, you don't get to go in as a missionary. They don't want you there like that. So if we're able to go in with a different kind of platform, a different reason to be able to be there, then what happens? Their doors just fly open. And so this is what's happening. This is what we're moving in. This is what we're doing. And uh, we're strategically locating in Fort Worth to be able to do this. And uh, we're, we're going to be traveling all the time, being able to do the, the training necessary in Latin America, but also be able to uh, lead uh, Latin Americans to the Middle East. And hey, if North Americans want to join on that, awesome. Does there, anyone have any questions for me? We are going to be based out of Fort Worth. Yes. And um, when I was talking to my sending pastor about, about that, and uh, long before, because the talks with Manna only started about two months ago. And uh, so I would say probably six months ago, I was talking with our sending pastor, and he said, because of the kind of ministry that you're, you are involved in, it'll, it'll become absolutely necessary for you to locate in a more strategic location. Um, so flying out of Bogota, uh, capital city of, of Colombia, I was there for a week and needed to go to Mexico. I literally had to come back to the States. Oh, it flew from Bogota to Atlanta, Atlanta, Mexico City, Mexico City, and uh, Orizaba, uh, Veracruz, Mexico. And then to co- in order to come home, I flew back to Atlanta and, and all of that. So he was just saying it will be necessary to strategically locate. And, and be thinking about the Middle East as well. So um, we will be basing out of Fort Worth. Yes, ma'am. That's a great question. There are several reasons why. In fact, if you, um, on, our, on our card here, um, that those, those questions are answered. So the why question, why are Latin Americans more, uh, how are they able to fit in? Uh, number one, um, when I walk in into the Middle East and, and begin to uh, try to develop a relationship with people on the field, uh, they find out I'm an American. There, is, there, are, there are two things that can happen. Number one, they'll accept me, 
possibly, and I can begin to develop a relationship. Or they can be like, oh, you're an American. And all of a sudden there's a wall there. And that happens quite a bit. And, uh, but that does, not, that does not happen to a Latin American. And so as an American, oftentimes when we travel to places like this, I always talk about how, you know, we always get our luggage. Well, as an American, we have a whole lot more luggage that we carry that we don't see, but everyone else does. And they focus in on that. Um, the other thing, too, is physical uh, appearance. Um, man, I've got so many Latin American friends that look Syrian, that look Lebanese, that look Iraqi. And uh, they mistake them for being, you know, Iraqi or Syrian. I have never been mistaken for being Iraqi or... <laughs> So yeah, that's a big part of it. It does, it does help. It really breaks down uh, barriers, and we've seen it in action. So our friends in, in northern Iraq that are able to live and minister there. Even in England. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes. 1040 window. Very good. Um, sometimes I use that term just like as if everyone already knew it. 1040 window refers to the 10th parallel, okay, and the 40th parallel between uh, West Africa and Southeast Asia. So that window of space. So North Africa, Middle East, South Asia, and Southeast Asia. Okay, all these places, that's the 1040 window. Majority of the world's unreached population lives within that window. Yes, sir. Very good. Well, for example, the family that lives in Iraq, the Mexican family, they are more of what you would say traditional type missionaries in the sense that they have supporting churches. And so they have supporting churches from Mexico, Colombia. So uh, we had a regional uh, missions conference kind of thing for a bunch of countries in, in Colombia. And uh, his family came, and so he ended up getting some supporting churches in Colombia, also from Ecuador, but also from the States. But the big question always is, is how can a Latin American actually go? Are they going to be able to get that kind of support base? Well, to very quickly answer that question is, is that it'll be difficult. However, when God's in it, he always opens the doors. And I think a big thing that we're going to have to do is to really... Uh, open up our idea of what a missionary can do on the field. And I tell my friends, my Latin American friends, you want to go? Go and work. Work there. Get a job there. So our friends in, in uh, uh, Mexico that feel the Lord calling them to go to Afghanistan, he's a doctor. Well, there we go. Just get a job. Get a job there. Do it. Or whatever. Um, like my, our friend that's in, in Germany she works there and at the same time is, is ministering to Syrian refugees. So I think that's key. We need to open up our mind to the idea of tent making. Uh, Paul, you know, he, he uh, made tents in order to be able to do his missionary journeys. And I think that's an okay thing to do. So, very good. Other question? Yes, sir. Very good question. He's, 
Okay, very good. So he's asking about the language. So when we give cross-cultural training for Latin Americans, what is it that we are actually providing? We're providing them, uh, help them learn how to adapt to new cultural settings. We've done it a lot. <laughs> so this you, you prepares us to be able to, to do that. That's one of the main things. And then we, we teach them cross-cultural communications to be able to uh, present the gospel in other cultural settings, okay? We do not teach the language per se, okay? Now, I, will, I don't mind giving like a, an introductory course on Arabic, but actually my philosophy is, is they need to actually get over there and learn that language there because that's part of the process of building relationships. Josh, you're going to have to learn, uh, you know, English, <laughs> but seriously, it's going to be different over there, right? It's different. Um, so it, it's part of the process of developing relationships. Um, so I, I, I ask them to please, you know, they can start on it, you know, where they're at, but it's very important for them to understand that that's part of submersion in the new culture. Um, and then he asked me, how, how long did it take for me to learn Spanish? After spending so many years in Arabic, uh, going into Latin America, going into Colombia, I have to be honest, I did not want any more language school. <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm tired of eight hours in class and all this. So um, I just purposed in my heart to learn, learn Spanish with the people. So with the, the, the church people and also just on the street, developing relationships with people. And um, I think God blessed that. Um, so in six months, I, was, I started teaching. Um, actually. Uh, so, it's a lot of fun, man. Questions? Yes, sir. Yeah. They have hurdles. They, they still have hurdles, okay? Any time that you're going into you know, a 1040 window country, you're going to have hurdles. They do also have to have platforms. They do have to apply for jobs. If they're going to start an NGO, it's got to be above board and do everything the right way. So those are hurdles that they all have to do. Here's, here's the, the, the very interesting thing. So if we have an, a Latin American that goes to a place like that to start a business, okay, as their platform, and over here we have an American that's doing the exact same thing, they're going to look at the American and say, you're stupid. You can just, you're not going to make money here. Just go back home. But when a Latin American does that, they look at him and think, well, that makes sense. Okay? Why? Because political differences, uh, socioeconomic differences, a Latin American coming from a third world country going to another third, third world country makes sense. But someone that's coming from the United States to go to, you know, to, to Iraq to make money doesn't make sense to the local, and uh, they start seeing through it very fast. Does that answer your question? Awesome. Other question? Yes, sir. We are, oh, that, that's a very good question. So with manna, this is a new position, okay? This is something that they've never had before. And so they actually asked me to write my own job description. And in my job description, I, I emphasize local church ministry and also church planning ministry. 
Now, as we think about projects, so feeding centers or orphanages or whatever, small business projects, being able to facilitate entrepreneurs on the field, all these kind of different ideas that we do have, those projects only aid in church planning. And so this is, the, this is the, what I bring to the table because I have such an emphasis on church planning. And so when I, we talk to our, 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 our uh, Mana and Bruce O'Neill and everyone else there, this is, this is what they understand. And this is what they're wanting me to do. So it's not just that we're going to places like Iraq and Iran and just starting feeding centers or whatever kind of projects. The idea behind this is to be able to get other people, whether they're Americans or, or Latin Americans, to get them over there to be able to church plant. And to be able to do that if they need any kind of platform, whether it's feeding center, which we're open to do, or even, like I said, uh, small businesses that facilitate other entrepreneurs in the country in order to be able to provide for their families. So these are some of the ideas that we do have that man is willing for, for us to explore a, in the Middle East. Does that answer your question? Or not really? Kind of, sort of? It's different because we are, and, and, uh, I will be the only one who's doing cross-cultural training so the only one that is uh, emphasizing the need to send missionaries from Latin America over to other places. And so this mobilization factor is what makes my position in MANA different than anyone else. In fact, uh, right now, um, my title, it's kind of a mouthful, but it's Director of Cross-Cultural Training and Mobilization. We're trying to figure out a better name. Yes, sir. Yeah, see, very, very good. So how can MANA actually help us be able to get into these countries? As you know, um, these countries don't want missionaries per se, okay? Please come and evangelize our people. No, they're not going to say that. So we can't get in with religious uh, visas to be able to do that. And so what we need is a, an organization that is, has a good reputation worldwide that has done good social work. And MANA has done that. And so MANA has that reputation all the way around the world now. And so when we step into places like Iraq or Iran or Afghanistan, even though MANA has a Christian uh, uh, emphasis, it opens doors because of the the work that they do with people and all around the world. Other questions? Everyone's ready to go home. Well, very good. Well, if there isn't any other questions, thank you very much. It is really good to be with y'all. Um, it is just, thank you. Yeah.